Hey, my name is Julian Adams. Today I'm speaking a little bit about what it means for us to lean into the kingdom of God. Thank you so much for listening to this Upper Room podcast. Right? Um, isn't God so kind? Just one more and then I promise I'm going to preach. Um, I just feel like there is somebody here in November of 2020. November of 2020. Um, I think you're probably going to be in the section um, I see some kind of, um, I think it was wrong about maybe the 15th or the 16th of November of 2020. I see um, some kind of, um, let's try to describe what I see. Um, I, I, I literally see you shutting down completely. It's like this emotional um, breakdown happening. It's like you got enveloped by a real sense of deep darkness, um, and I feel like it had to do with an event that happened in your family. I don't know if it was maybe like a miscarriage or, or something to do with death, but I feel like the Lord really wants to minister to you. I think you're in this section. Was is that you, ma'am? I don't want to embarrass you, but do you mind standing? Is that your husband next to you? I want you both standing. Um, I just feel like the Lord wants to say to you, I am bringing joy out of the season of grief. And I feel like there's some unresolved things that you guys have been wrestling with and working with. And the Father wants you to know you are His delight. And Mama, I feel like it's been, since then, there's been this residual anxiety that you've lived with. And even sometimes waking up in the morning has been costly for you. And I feel like there've been some things that you've said, God, how does this work? Why am I not getting the answers? And and I wish I could give you the answers, but I can't tell you this. The Father's gonna come close in this next season. And I, I feel like where there's been a grief that came over you, a grief even to do, a grief that almost suffocated you, God is gonna begin to lift that off of you because grief is meant to last for a nighttime, but joy is meant to come in the morning. And I feel like you, there's been this season of elongated grief, as it were. God's lifting that off of you. And, and ma'am, there were some things pre this date that you had in terms of um, worship and creativity, in terms of uh, um, just the spontaneity, that all got shut down. And it's like the things that made you come alive just got shut down. God's gonna lift that up in this next season. You guys are just so special to the Father. He loves you. And my brother, I feel like the Lord wants to say to you, He's not overlooked you. And I feel like there was a season in your life where you just felt so burdened um, and, and overlooked, even, even around things like your birthday, uh, even from as young as a kid. And I feel like the Father's saying, I've not overlooked you. And you're gonna begin to experience me in the most unlikely ways in this next season because my favor is specifically on you, my dear brother. I, I'm seeing even like um, phrases and uh, thoughts and ideas that the Lord wants to unlock for this next season for you guys. Even, even God says, I'm wanting to literally bless the physical property of your home, that you're gonna sense the presence of God in a unique way and a place that once reminded you of death is now gonna begin to remind you of life in this next season. God's hand is on you. And hey, won't you stretch out your hands to this dear couple? We just love them so much. Let's, I wanna tell you that the goal of prophecy is not accuracy. The goal of prophecy is love. Won't you just ask God just to pour out a fresh baptism of love? Right now, in the name of Jesus, we release your love and your goodness upon this couple. We say, God, that which the enemy meant for harm and has kept them in a cycle of grief that you did not design. Grief is appropriate, but I feel like God's saying this grief has been in your life for too long and he's shifting something, he's bringing joy. And ma'am, I, I even see like physical equilibrium coming to your body. Even uh, in terms of your physical body, there's an equilibrium coming, a balance coming to your body. And so Father, right now in Jesus' name, we release your presence and your favor on this wonderful couple. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. amen. Yeah, let's tell Jesus we love him. He's so kind. Hey, I just wanna um, 
tell you a little bit about a course that I'm doing called Vox Day, which means voice of God. Um, it really is just me externally processing, processing over 12 sessions about what it looks like to be an authentic, integral, prophetic voice. And we need that in our day, don't we? Um, and so if you want to go ahead and go check it out at the back, please do that. I hope you found John chapter 2. If you've not found it by now, give up. You can open anywhere in the Bible, it's all inspired. Do you know, I love Scripture because it is the highest form of prophecy. It's the most perfected form of prophecy, and we, we must be a people who submit to it entirely. In this day and age, we, we need to be a people who give our lives to being submitted to the Word of God. It is, excuse me, it is beautiful in its revelation. It is magnificent in its articulation, and it is transformational in its application. And if we submit our lives to Scripture, we would do very well to not only become a people who experience revival, but become a people who carry revival. John chapter 2, I want to unpack a very familiar bit of Scripture. It's the wedding at Cana. On the third day, verse 1, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. I've been to that church. <laughs> and Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew I can't help but think they must have been chuckling at this point. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when they have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs that Jesus did at Cana Galilee, and it manifested his glory, and the disciples believed in him. I love the Gospel of John um, one of the things I love doing is teaching through the Gospel of John. I'm taking some of our interns at church through this incredible Gospel. I feel like Gospel is a gift. The Gospel of John is a gift that keeps on giving. Um, and one of the things that will help you understand how to apply the Gospel of John is how you read this. This is a beautiful text. John, the revelator, is writing this. And John, typical of a prophetic type person, doesn't write anything in order doesn't try to make it work out. He just simply writes it down in a way that is quite beautiful and dramatic. And he's wanting you to be caught up in the drama of who um, and what the good news is. And Jesus is the central figure of this drama. And not only that, you'll begin to see that John is writing in allegory. We see seven miracles which speak of the seven days of creation. You'll notice that the Gospel of John starts off exactly like Genesis does. In the beginning was the Word. John is wanting his hearers, his readers, to understand that this is the Gospel of new beginnings. This is a new Genesis, which is what that word means. And I love this because when you begin to understand that John is wanting to catch you up in something, you will read it differently. Uh, because the allegory in here is so rich and so wonderful and so beautiful. And the first miracle we see happening happens in the context of celebration. I love it. I particularly love this miracle because it's entirely unnecessary. It's the most unnecessary miracle in Scripture. They've already been drinking. Listen, I come from a mixed race family in South Africa. That's where I was born. We know how to party for three days. We do it very well. 
And I don't want to overstate the obvious, but it's in the Bible. These guys were quite happy already. I'll move on quickly. As my, my old Baptist pastor used to say, Jesus turned water into wine, and the church has been trying to turn it back ever since. But we see Jesus show up this wedding in this context of celebration, and I, I love this because John explicitly tells us this is the first of his signs. It's pointing to something. It's pointing to Jesus. You'll see seven signs in Scripture. The eighth sign, by the way, which is the day of new beginnings, is his resurrection. You'll see throughout Scripture, throughout the Gospel of John, you'll see him wanting to bring allegory. This is a new beginning. You'll see these phrases, third day, it's speaking of resurrection moment, you'll see these codes all the way through Scripture. It's quite obvious when you begin to read it. It's not hidden from you, it's hidden for you. And I love this because this happens in the context of a wedding. Now, one of the things that we see in Genesis, the very first thing that God creates is not physical matter, but a concept, an idea, a thought. And we see that what God first creates are, is this idea of two opposites being made for one another. We see the, the, the sun and the moon. We see water and earth. We see um, animals and plants. We see these two dynamics being made for each other. We see man and woman being made for each other. It's why I believe there's a great battle on for our understanding of what marriage should look like. The first concept that God makes is in the context of union being made for each other. He makes the concept of marriage. Two things that look different for each other. The first thing that God ever created was the heavens for the earth. Heaven is made for earth and earth is made for heaven. It's why Jesus says, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in. How many of you know Jesus really wants to answer that prayer through you? And we see this moment in celebration that Jesus takes the, the tepid water of religion and he completely transforms it from the inside out. I wanna tell you, religion will get you working for something that you already have. Because the only thing, the, the, the dynamic of relationship and the only thing that we give to Jesus in our great exchange is our sin for his righteousness. And he completely transforms us from the inside out. It's how he works, and I love this because this picture here is gonna reveal something of the glory of God, and I love Mary. I think Mary gets a bad rap sometimes in our evangelical churches, charismatic churches. We're so afraid of worshiping her that we miss what's plainly obvious in text. This is a woman who stepped out in faith, who believed God, for the promise that she was carrying. I, I love who she is. She's been carrying promises now for over 30 years. 30 years of carrying promise that the one that she gave birth to would be the savior of the world. And she's at this wedding. Theologians tell us she was probably well known in the community. The whole community was there. This risk of embarrassment, and again, I understand this because my aunties and uncles would definitely talk about the lack of food and wine if that was not at our party. And she's been carrying promise, and she looks to Jesus, and she says to Jesus, they have no wine. Now, I, I can hear the tone of Mary because I think I probably have a mother a bit like Mary. This is like one of those mamas who are like going, I need to get my nose in here because we need to bring a solution. And man alive, I've been carrying promise for a long time. Can you do something about it? <laughs> and Jesus makes this incredible statement here. He says, my hour has not yet come. Now when Jesus says this and when John, the gospel writer, records this, he has something specific that he wants his readers to understand because you'll see this phrase of an hour, of a third day, of a moment like this throughout the Gospel of John. And when he talks about my hour has not yet come, what he's talking about is the moment of Jesus on the cross, the moment which looks like defeat, 
The moment which looks like brokenness, the moment which looks like spilled blood, the moment which looks like utter death is the moment of Christ's glorification. And we see him on the cross as blood is spilt. And the beautiful thing is this hour, this understanding is meant to evoke something in our mind concerning Passover. Mary's been carrying all of this promise. She's been expecting God to break in. She's been expecting Jesus at some stage to do something as the Savior of the world. She's been carrying promise. And there's Jesus saying, my hour has not yet come. And he's talking about the broken body that he will display as all of Israel's longings, all of Israel's sojournings, all of Israel's desires finally find their fulfillment and all of their promises in Christ Jesus' broken body on the cross. When he's talking about the hour when John is writing this, he wants you to see that. But here's the thing. The broken body of Jesus doesn't just represent past promises. It doesn't just represent all of Israel's sojourns. It also represents the future. It represents the future breaking in on the present right now. And there's something so profound in Mary's provocation to us in that she's been living with promise for a long time. 30 plus years, 30 years and nine months to be exact, probably. She's been living with this promise that the one that she carries would be the savior of the world. And she comes to Jesus and she says, they have no wine. And we'll talk about wine in a moment. And what she does in that moment is having lived with all of this promise, she leans into a future reality Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. She presses in and places a demand on a future reality and brings it into the presence right here, right now. Let me help you a little bit. Some of you have been living with promise and you've been waiting passively for something to happen. But there is in the people of God and there should be in the people of God an expectation, not just a past promise, not just a past breakthrough, but of a reality of a future kingdom breaking in right here, right now. We see this in the way Jesus teaches us how to pray. He says, give us this day our daily bread, doesn't he? You remember that? We think that's about our needs. We think that's about what we need today. The verse there in the Aramaic literally says, give us the bread of tomorrow today. When Jewish readers would read that, they would immediately think about the marriage supper of the Lamb because celebration and feasting is always a sign of the kingdom. It's why we're called the Table Boston. Because we've learned that the best place to practice warfare is not at shouting at the devil, but in celebrating a future kingdom now. And Jesus says, give us the bread of tomorrow. It's a very complicated verse. They don't know how to even translate it in English. Give us the bread of tomorrow today. He's literally saying, the bread that is reserved for the end, the marriage supper of the Lamb, Give us some of that bread right now. Shika bazooka. We're all praying so we can get a new car when Jesus wants to give us a feast of a future age right now. We see this when we break bread, when we have the Eucharist, when we have communion. It's why Jesus says each time you do this, do this in remembrance, the past of me, and do it until I come the future back again, right now in the present. When you partake of communion, what you're doing is not just celebrating a past victory, you are accessing a future reality right here, right now. Oh, brothers and sisters, you've got to get this. We live 
with a retrospective view of life, thinking that that's how we can ask God for things. When God wants us to lean into the reality of a future kingdom, where there is no sickness, where there is no disease, where justice is a way of life, where peace is territory and government. And he's saying, get that year right now. And I wanna be a little bit like Mary, where I totally ignore Jesus saying, oh, just do whatever he says. There's a holy audacity and provocation that we're supposed to be learning here. That she had enough of living with promise, she wanted to see the promise. I tell you what, I, I've grown up in church, I came out my mother's womb speaking in tongues. Just joking. I was about three years old when I got filled with the Spirit. I don't remember a day not speaking in tongues, to be honest. And I can't tell you how many sermons of revival I've heard. As if it's a future reality. When actually God wants to bring it in now. Brothers and sisters, what do you believe in God for? You see, when we come to the table, when we come to this text, it's not just about something that's gonna happen that's happened in the past. It's not just something that we hope will happen right now, but it's meant to be a dynamic where we lean in. You see, when, when the Gospel writer says on the third day, what happens on the third day throughout the Gospel of John? It's resurrection day. The broken body of Jesus and the resurrected body of Jesus. I want you to notice something. It is a physical body that the scandal of the Gospel it's not just that we have our sins forgiven, but that one day we will be raised physically in resurrected life and live eternally as the one called Jesus does right now with a physical body in heaven that's glorified. It's why we can never separate this physical reality from a spiritual reality as if they're different because God's design is that heaven and earth get married. That's why your body is important to God right now. Jesus lives with a physical glorified body right, right now in heaven and we have access into that realm right now because there's a man with physical glorified flesh in heaven who's made a way beyond the veil so that we can go there anytime. Man alive, that deserved a holly flipping luyah. <laughs> I love Jesus' style. He's about to reveal something of his glory. And I love that it's entirely unnecessary. How many of you have ever thought that God's revelation of himself could be unnecessary? And Jesus takes the tepid water of man's attempt to trying to clean themselves, the dirty water of religion, and religion is dirty. Don't you be fooled that you can get yourself closer to God through your own works. It is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace you are sustained, and it is by grace you'll be glorified. <laughs> the, the great exchange is my sin for his right standing. That's the only exchange, your only contribution to salvation is all of your wrongdoing. <laughs> Not even your tithe will get you out of this one. But you should tithe. Just joking. Here's the thing. What happens in this moment is profound because God does not only do a miracle of DNA molecular change in this moment. It's not just that he, he changes the molecular structure of water. It's that he changes its entire constitution in an accelerated way. You see, I, I grew up in wine country in Cape Town, South Africa. Forgive me, if you don't drink wine, please forgive me. I'm not trying to be offensive, but I'm seeing how wine is made. I, I get how it's made. And, and wine, when it is still young, um, is, is offensive to the mouth. It tastes awful. It, it is not mature. It doesn't have body. It doesn't have depth. It doesn't have nuance of flavor. 
And what Jesus does in this moment and what Jesus does in salvation is he not only changes your spiritual DNA entirely, he accelerates, in other words, he brings the future into the present. What should take months and years happens in an instant. I wanna tell you this church is coming into a season of acceleration. I'm just gonna preach to these people for a moment. God's about getting ready to take you into a season where the miracle will not just be changed, but it will be holy acceleration. That that which is being reserved for a future time, that which is being reserved for another moment begins to break in in incremental and ever-increasing ways. Do you know it is the expectation of the people of God to expect more of the kingdom of God today than we did yesterday because the Bible says of His kingdom there will be no end. It's an ever-increasing kingdom. It's supposed to get better today and tomorrow than it was yesterday. It's a good word, Julian. (laughs) Telling the truth now, I'm not just preaching. And he, he changes water into wine. And what I love is that when you understand what's happening in this moment, is that the writer John is wanting to invoke an imagery for you because wine in the Old Testament is always connected to the coming of the kingdom. You'll see it in Isaiah chapter 25, you'll see it in Amos chapter 9, that wine and feasting and celebration and joy and over-the-top abundance is the sign that God's kingdom has come. And so when Jesus reveals his glory, he doesn't give a glass of wine. He gives a whole lot of wine that you shouldn't legally drink in one sitting. Because he's wanting to reveal something of the nature of the kingdom of God. He's wanting to reveal something of the nature of his glory that it is over the top abundance that in a season of scarcity in a nation, you can expect the abundance of heaven, not just materialistically, not just financially, but in terms of his kingdom coming and making all things new. The church is not in decline in America. The kingdom of God is not shrinking back. The very first sign that Jesus makes concerning his glory is that there is more than enough. In fact, there's so much it's unnecessary. He says to his disciples, little flock, it is the Father's delight to give you the kingdom. We're all trying to pray and convince God to give us the kingdom. God is sitting on tiptoe expectation saying, I want to pour it out in a deluge, in a way that is entirely unnecessary, in a way that is entirely over the top. Why are you asking for your daily bread when you can feast at a table reserved for the future? And he turns water into wine. I love it. So offensive. I think religious cars make the best burgers. <laughs> I'm from South Africa, we like a lot of meat. But here's the thing. He gives the sign of the kingdom in the context of the master of ceremony saying this. Others save the best, others drink the best wine first, but you have saved the best wine for No, not lost. That's unbiblical. Go read the scripture. It says you've saved the best wine for. This is a now moment. The kingdom is not delaying. There's no delay. There's no delay in the kingdom. We're waiting for the last moment. Let's make sure we've got oil in our lamps for the last moment. It's a now word. This acceleration. This demonstration of the kingdom, you normally drink from it at first, 
So you can save the, the bad wine to keep you going in the last moments, but instead you've given the best wine now. I want to tell you, I think the church has been intoxicated on religious wine for too long. And it's time for us to drink kingdom wine that is reserved for another moment. Now. There is a holy acceleration that the Lord is bringing to the church. I want to tell you what is happening in in a college in Kentucky is just but the trickle. I want to tell you what is happening in a little building here in Dallas is just but a trickle. The kingdom is not delayed, it is now. Now, I understand I'm a good theologian. I want to make sure that you get this. There is a dynamic that we're still waiting for the kingdom to come, aren't we? We live in a holy tension of what's called now and not yet. I just won't allow my not yet to dictate my now. God wants to pour out wine for now from a future age. It's going to disrupt everything. It's going to mess everything up. It's going to be intoxicating. It's going to be overwhelming. But it's going to reveal his glory. And when the disciples think back, the first thing they see in the glory of God in their experience of Jesus is an over-the-top, accelerated, abundant, unnecessary miracle of wine, the very sign of the kingdom. A few years ago, I was pastoring in South Africa, in Cape Town. It's really not difficult to pastor in Cape Town. It's one of the most beautiful parts of the world. And um, I, was past, I was helping, I was an assistant pastor at a local church right on the coast of Cape Town. And um, we were having what was called revolution meetings. It was cheesy but fun. And the presence of God would show up in these meetings in the most unusual ways. And um, I don't actually share the story all the time publicly. I'm very careful. But I, in the worship, Kathy said, I, you know, you need to share that story. And I... I'm joyfully submitted to my wife. <laughs> Some of you are like, really? Yes, my wife's actually the lead pastor of our church. And like the Bible says, we joyfully submit one to another. Um, I'll move on quickly. <laughs> I'm South African and cheeky, I apologize. But I, I, we're in this worship time. And the presence of God was quite intense. And I remember falling out under the power of God and I, I fell into what the Bible describes as a trance. It's the word ecstasis. It means ecstasy. It literally means that you're caught up into another world, as it were. My senses became dulled to the things around me and felt like I was in another space. And I found myself in what looked like this massive cellar room. And it was like this big cellar room. And they had these big barrels of wine all over the place. And I was walking down, and although I didn't see God, I could sense his intensified form and presence. I've never had an open vision of God. I've only ever sensed his presence in an intensified way, kind of like when I'm in my room, maybe doing something, and Katya walks in stealthily, and I, I actually don't even know she's there, but I suddenly sense there's someone in the room. Have you ever had those moments? And you can kind of sense their form and where they're at. That's what was happening for me in that moment. And I felt the Lord invite me to walk through the cellar room. And as I was walking through the cellar room, I could see all of these wine barrels and I could see names like Smith Wigglesworth. I could see uh, the, the, the um, Wesley brothers. I could see Jonathan Edwards. I could see Catherine Coleman. I could see all of these great revivalists and reformers and their names were all on this incredible, just all these barrels. And they had a cap at the end of all of them. And I felt the Lord say to me, these are residues of past moves of God. 
And as I was walking, he began to break each of those wine barrels. And the wine began to flow to uh, the ground and it began to stain my feet. It began to, I was walking bare feet at the time. It began to stain my feet and my clothes. And I felt the Lord say, I'm about to do something on the earth that is going to combine past moves of God, that is going to take the residues of past moves of God and begin to mix them into one heady, intoxicating move of my spirit. And I felt the Lord say, go ahead and have a drink. And I did not delay in responding in obedience. And so I went ahead and I had a drink. And as I did that, my mouth got filled with physical wine. And I instantaneously got intoxicated in the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not quite sure if you're a teetotaler and that's your theology. God bless you. I don't know what to do with that, but that's what happened to me. And I got completely filled with the Holy Spirit. It was just, it was like one sip and I was intoxicated. I I had to be carried out of the meeting because the presence of God, it sounds a bit like Ephesians chapter five, right? The happy command. It's the happiest command in the Bible. Do not get drunk on wine but be filled with the Holy Spirit. If more Christians take that happy command, it will look a lot less like we've been baptized in lemon juice. And we actually look a little bit happier, right? Jesus, please can we bring back some happy clappies already? We need them back. We need some joyful people. And I'm completely intoxicated and I stumbled my way to a restaurant with some of the other guys. And one of my friends, a spiritual son began to say, I had this really weird encounter tonight. I fell out under the power of God and I found myself in the cellar room of heaven. And I began to see all of these barrels. And he began to recount the same encounter. And then he said, and I took a sip of wine and physical wine filled my mouth. There were five of us that night that had the same encounter. Will you take a drink tonight? Because there is wine that is flowing. Can you sense how the atmosphere has just changed suddenly? The presence of God is just coming because the nearness of the kingdom is not delayed in any way because he wants to accelerate his closeness. He wants to accelerate his work. He wants to bring you into the reality of a future age where he makes all things the way he always intended it to be. Brothers and sisters, the very first miracle we see in Scripture is not the healing of the sick. It's a demonstration of the abundance of God's kingdom. And I want to tell you, the church has been believing a lie that we are in a season of scarcity. When God is saying it's a season of abundance. But what are you drinking? What are you drinking? Because there's wine that is flowing. He wants to take your tepid water of religion, your attempts at trying to make something happen, your attempts at trying to fabricate a move of God or a breakthrough in your life. Only I can just work harder for it. And he wants to say, let me do what only I can do that can change you from the inside out and give you the best wine, not for last, but for now. He's here right now. I often say this in Boston in particular because we have so many people who have elevated the intellect as their God. Intellect's great if it's harnessed by the mind of the Spirit. But I often tell people we need less thinking and more drinking. Go ahead and drink. There is the heady, intoxicating wine of the Spirit that is being poured out right now. I will prophesy probably in a moment, but right now there has to be this desire It's it's easier than it's ever been before 
Do you know how come? Because the very body of Jesus has made a way for us to come and drink from His blood. The wine of His presence is being poured out. Son of Solomon talks about He brought me to His banqueting table. He brought me to the house of wine to come and drink. I want to tell you the highest form of a bridal paradigm where we understand our union with Christ is not simply what we get to offer Him, but what we get to drink with Him. Just go ahead. Some of you are feeling the presence of God already increasing on you. You've been dry and parched. This church is coming into a season of holy acceleration. There's gonna be a lot more to manage and steward. By the way, that's kingdom. That God rewards good sons with more stewardship. It's a biblical thing. But He wants you to start here. A love feast that begins with drinking. As Julian was speaking, I was reminded that I grew up in England and I was reminded that there's a whole generation of British people who share tea bags. That they don't make a cup of tea with just one tea bag, but they use the one tea bag for multiple cups of tea. And the reason they do it is because in the wartime, in Britain, there was a shortage of tea. And so they lived with strict rations. And because of the rations, they learned how to dilute what was never intended to be diluted, but they learned to ration it. And the war has long since been over, and yet they still live in a place of, do, of diluting that which was not intended to be diluted. And I felt the Lord saying that there are many of us in this room that we're living in strict rations where He's saying the war is over. The war is over. The cross and resurrection have opened floodgates. And you're living in a place of living with strict rations as if you need to count every morsel, as if He is weighing up each grain of blessing in your life rather than having broken the barrels and allowing the floodgates to pour over you. Stop rationing and diluting that which He is giving in abundance. <laughs> We receive the abundance of heaven tonight. We receive the lavish wine ever flowing. We will not dilute that which is given in abundance. I feel some of you are trying to take someone else's rations. He is giving you personally more than enough for you. Come Holy Spirit, pour out the wine of your presence. If you're sensing the Holy Spirit on you, you're sensing His presence. If you're not feeling anything, that's okay. That doesn't mean any less spiritual. But I've learned to bless what God is doing because that normally causes an increase. When we're grateful for what He's giving, for some fish and some bread, He multiplies it. If you're sensing the presence of God, you stand to your feet very quickly. Just go ahead and, some of you are going to need to physically just go ahead and actually just have a drink. You might want to take some, I love how the message puts it in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, drink huge drafts of Him. That's what Eugene Peterson says. And so right now, all across this room, I release your presence, God. Begin to pour out your spirit right now. Whew. 
go ahead and receive right now. More. More. There's some of you, God is wanting to break the back of anxiety off of you by releasing joy right now. I release your joy. There's a girl, you're in this section over here. You've had consistent nightmares over the last maybe three years. It's affected your sleep. The Lord's wanting to release you from that right now. And He wants to give you wine that will make you sleep. Where are you? Wave your hand at me right now. You've had consistent like nightmares and sleep issues. I think you're in the section. Just very quickly, I don't want to embarrass you. Thank you, ma'am. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I release the wine of heaven. More right now in Jesus' name. Somebody's getting healed over here of a condition in your lower back where there's like, um, in between your vertebrae, there's not enough um, fluid or whatever it is that makes it flexible. Just you're in the section over here. If I could just wave your hand at me very quickly. I feel the presence of God is being released. Right now, come Holy Spirit. Who's that person going to issue in your lower back? It's called incredible pain. Is that you? Father, right now in Jesus' name, release the wine that brings healing. He's just going to intensify his presence in the next 20 to 30 seconds. I can't drink for you. I can't drink for you. More right now. More right now. Increase the presence of God. Some of you right now, God's beginning to move upon you. He's beginning to intoxicate you. Increase your joy and your life and your goodness. I release the intoxicating wine of revival right now. We don't just want the past move of God. We want the now move of God. More. More right now. I just want to wait just a little bit longer if that's okay. This uh, lady over here with the blue and brown on. Are you guys together? The power of God is on you, ma'am. I can see it's just increasing right now. There has been a resident prophetic gift in you that the Lord is beginning to increase and He's beginning to shape. The Lord says your dreams are important to Him. And I feel like there have been some dreams. Actually, both of you, like there is a dynamic of destiny on you that the Lord is wanting to shape and increase in this next season. I'm not quite sure what you guys do, but I see like a crossover between ministry and business. I see something happening that God's about to cause you to be able to be in two spaces at once. And there is going to be an increase of favor. There is going to be an increase of blessing. Sir, the Lord has released a strategic grace on you that you think in terms of strategy and multiplication. And the Lord's about to unlock that. I don't know why I'm seeing even some foreign currency, but I feel like the Lord's saying, son, daughter, I'm about to call some favor to open up for you. And ma'am, I feel like God wants to say to you, the spirit of intercession is coming upon you for this next generation that you're going to be able to see what he's about to do. Even your dreams are going to direct even some stuff in this local community that there's going to be fire that's going to begin to come from you as a prophetic directive from the Lord begins to increase. And right now, the lightning of heaven comes upon you. Boom! There it goes right through you. Oh, that's it right now in Jesus' name. Oh! <laughs> Ooh. Oh, Jehovah Sneaky is in the place. He wants to surprise you with his goodness. Some of you have been sucking lemon juice for far too long. More right now. Listen, if joy doesn't move your face, it's probably not joy. If joy doesn't move your face, it's probably not joy. There it is, more, more right now. It's going to begin to sweep all across this room right now. Let the wine of your presence increase in this room right now. 
There is a gentleman, I think you're in this section over here. You're involved in, the phrase I get is mergers and acquisitions in your job. You somehow work to do some stuff with mergers and acquisitions. Um, I feel like you're, you're a gentleman. You're probably in the section. You could be somewhere else. You're in a business dynamic and I see God's grace on you. Who's that person? Just wave your hand at me very quickly. Somebody to do with like mergers. Is that you? I think a lady. Okay. Ma'am, the Lord wants to do some he wants to give you some unfair advantage in this next season and some Holy Spirit intel. And I see you working on a project that has somehow been delayed for a number of months. It's been really difficult. And I see the Lord saying, I'm about to accelerate the breakthrough and that you will be known as someone who closes the deal in an accelerated way. And there's going to be such an integrity in the marketplace that the Lord's going to give you so that even men and women of high influence will listen to you and you'll be able to direct funds for the sake of kingdom expansion. And even right now, God's hand is on you. He's wanting to unlock an evangelistic grace in you and on you. It's like people tell you things you didn't ask them to tell you. <laughs> And they just tell you the stuff that's on their heart and you don't even know why. God's saying, because I'm going to give you grace to be able to draw and to be one who reaps people into the kingdom. Right now, he's increasing his presence. I don't want to say this for effect, but I sense the presence of God, particularly in the back over there. There's like something happening of the presence of God just increasing. Won't you guys just lift up your hands just over at the back? Just right now, that section, it's almost like there is a, a sense of resources being unlocked right now. And I don't know why it's happening in the back, but I feel like maybe there's someone there who's needing a specific resource breakthrough that you've been waiting. I think even somebody to do the property deal that has been delayed. The Lord's about to release, like, if it's you, wave your hand at me, like, somebody to do with a delay in resource that's needed. If it's you in the back, quickly wave your hand at me, if it's you. I want, I want to see, okay, there is a wave, person waving a hand right now. That's it. Father, right now, I release resource in the back right now. In fact, we might as well all take it because he's omnipresent. <laughs> he is. The last time I checked, he's omnipresent. So if you need some abundant resource, I feel like God wants to unlock unnecessary miracles. Yes. Yes. Unnecessary yes. miracles right now all across this room. I want to tell you just one thing and I want to do one or two more. I know we need to end. I remember praying for a man who, a close friend who had a stroke was in a wheelchair. And as I prayed for him, for God to heal him, God didn't heal him, but he got a number of gold teeth in the back of his mouth. And I was super offended with God. Because one is as supernatural as the other, right? But there was something in the heart of God toward that man. I remember him saying, I know that he loves me. Look. And he'd show me his gold key. I know that he loves me. Look. I want to tell you, some of you are going to get unnecessary miracles that might not even meet your needs that, in the way that you think. But he just wants to show you displays of his kindness. He's already done it on the cross. Here's what I want to do to, to end. I, I, how much time do I have? Do we need to end now? I just want to do one more prophetic word. Is that okay? Okay. Now that I lead local churches, I know what it's like when you need to get things done. He's here right now. Can you sense him? Father, right now, we release unnecessary miracles all across this room. I feel like God wants to release a childlikeness in order to be able to receive. And you know, the funny thing about kids is that they never think your gift was too much. There's like no child on the planet who'll be like, no, no, that's more than I deserve. Please take that back and give me something smaller. And when Jesus talks about childlikeness being the posture in which we enter the kingdom, there's something that he's saying of the ability to receive excess and not be offended by it. And I feel in this moment that God is bringing freedom and deliverance to some who've been saying no when God is wanting to give.
Come on. And we've been, we've been pastoring God. No, no, this is too much. Let me explain to you why this is not an appropriate way to give to me. And I feel like He is singling some of you out tonight. And you'll know this is you because your heart is beating and your hands are clammy right now. But He is speaking to you. And He is saying, I am trying to bless you. And you keep saying no because you think you know better than what I know to give you. And so in the name of Jesus, we break any kind of old thinking about what we're allowed to receive and what God is allowed to give. And we release in this room a childlike attitude to receiving, a childlike grace to say yes to all that God is giving today and all that He's giving tomorrow and all of tomorrow's bread today. Receive in the name of Jesus an audacity to take what God is giving and say yes, please, and some more. Okay. Give me some more, Jesus. When you tell him you love him just for a moment, when you declare how kind and how good, how magnificent and glorious he is, come on. Lift your voice just for a second. You guys know how to worship. Just tell Him. Just lift up your voice. Begin a drink in the overflow. As deep calls out to deep. He is so worthy of adoration and praise. Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. More. More. These gentlemen with the great top on, sir. God's presence. Yeah, you. You. With the moustache. <laughs> God's presence is on you. And I feel like, I, it's almost like I can see, um, like a James anointing on you in the Bible. He, he has this ability to be practical and work out his faith. And I feel like you often go, well, that's just so out there. What's the practical? How do we apply this? Like the way you think, the way you're wired is like that. And I feel like God's saying, I'm gonna take your practical and I'm gonna make it super naturally practical. And I feel like the Lord wants you to know that in this next season, he is unlocking for you a gift of faith for the extraordinary. And I feel like you've hit a particular ceiling uh, in your job or in your, your current situation that God's saying, I'm about to break through it for you. Um, and I feel like you got this anointing to take people with you. Because you know how to love people well. And right now God's saying, son, I'm gonna give you grace to establish a context, I don't know if it's a business or whatever it is that you do that can take people with you into their next level so they can walk into favor. I just feel like the Lord's saying, the writings on the whiteboard, the plans that you have, the goals that you have, I'm about to accelerate and supersede them. Like I, I, I see like a, a like a three to four year plan that you've written out somewhere or something that you've thought about. And God's saying, no, I'm gonna do that in a year to two years. I'm gonna accelerate that. And God's saying, I've given you grace to create wealth. I've given you grace to create wealth. And you're gonna have an ability to do it because you'll steward it for the sake of kingdom. Yes, what I wanna do just right now as we end. I wanna tell you, I, I feel like this verse of this abundant miracle of wine, the sign of the kingdom, revealing the glory of God. I, I wonder if often we worship enough to sense His presence, but we don't linger enough to see His glory. You see, the presence of God tells us He's here. The glory of God reveals who He is. 
I believe God wants to give you wine that will brighten your eyes, that will cause you to see His glory. And just as we come into a close, I, I wish I could prophesy over all of you, so here goes. God loves you with an everlasting love. It's the best word you could ever receive. And I want to say most of us, if we just took our pastor's advice from last week and gig that, we'd probably walk into our destiny. The greatest revelation of Jesus is not as prophet or apostle, it's as shepherd, one who pastors us. But I, I genuinely feel right now, God wants to increase His presence in the next minute. If you know God is on you and you're just saying, God, I want to drink from the wine of heaven. I want to get intoxicated again. Some of you, proximity to the presence of God does not guarantee intimacy with God. Mary and Martha were in proximity with Jesus, but only one had intimacy.